Thank you, Brother James McTadden. God bless you. Well, yeah, you're just going to take this. Oh, you're taking it down, are you? Oh, I didn't mean that. I, you could have taken one of these music ones down. <laughs> wow. I like to get where I can see you if you fall asleep. <laughs> oh, yes, the Lord is good all the time. If we'll let him be, amen? If we'll turn God loose to be God. The problem is we don't let him be God often enough. You know what our problem is? We say, okay, Lord, I can handle this. Hmm? And we do, and what do we do? We make a mess of it. That's right. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that. When it, undertaking a new endeavor, when a new challenge comes your way, something comes at you that is brand new and you've never been through it before, how do you react? If it looks fearful, you need faith, don't you? You've got to have faith because if it looks fearful, you've got to have faith. Because if you, if you allow that fear to continue, what happens? You fail. Fear equals failure. Every time. Fear can never bring forth victory. It is impossible for fear to bring forth victory. It brings forth terror. It brings forth confusion. Can you think when you're confused? Uh-uh. Can't do it, can you? It brings forth all manner of memories of failures. Has fear ever brought back memories to you of success? Won't do it, will it? It can't. Can a potato produce an ear of corn? Impossible. It's not its nature, is it? God said back there in Genesis, let everything that he created, he looked upon it, and he said what? It's a big mess? No, man's been doing that ever since. But he said it is good, didn't he? And he, he gave a commandment. He gave a commandment that is still working and functioning to this day. And that commandment is to bring forth after its kind. And that, that commandment is as sure as the fact that what goes up is going to come down. One of our, I guess one of our last space shuttles took off today. Did it take off today or tomorrow? Tomorrow. It's going up. You think it'll come down? It better. <laughs> it better. Or... Uh, Admiral Gifford, or whatever you want to call him over there, the commander of that shuttle, his wife's really going to get lonely. She's just been through a horrible ordeal, hasn't she? She is a miracle on two feet that she's alive. She went through a horrible experience, didn't she? But the doctors are amazed at her recovery. They know it wasn't their doing. That's what they're saying, don't they? She has faith. 
She refuses to lay down and die. <laughs> Absolutely. And you and I must be of the same attitude, of the same mindset. How are we going to do that? How are we going to do that when these things, these impossibilities hit us right between the eyes and it overwhelms us? It's bigger than we are. It's taller. It's wider. It, it's overwhelming to us. How are we going to respond? One way or the other, you are going to respond. At that time, it will be now, won't it? That will be the moment of now in your life. The moment of now. Now. What am I going to do? Now, oh boy, I didn't plan on this. Now I'm in trouble. I feared this, and now it's come upon me. Isn't that what Job said? For the thing that I feared has come upon me. Oh my. Wow. So you see, fear produces failure. But there's another now. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. When is now? Do you know now never changes? <laughs> now is right now, isn't it? Will it still be now in five minutes? It won't be yesterday. It won't be tomorrow, will it? It'll still be now. Now, you students, is called present tense, isn't it? Then, back there, that's past. That's past tense. But now is always present tense. And here it says in verse 38 of chapter 10 of Hebrews, now the just. How many here are the just? The just shall live. You just want to stop right there. Just stop right there. <laughs> I just want to praise him. I just, look at now the just. I just want to rejoice in him. I just want to sing. I just, I want to do right now something unto the Lord that will please the Lord. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, isn't it? So now, present tense, the just shall live by faith. But, oh boy. If any man, woman, boy or girl draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure in that person. Oh, my. But we are not of them. Isn't that what it says? The next verse. But we are not of them who draw back. Let's not draw back to a challenge. Let's not draw back when there's fear. Since I was with you last, I, <laughs> I had some interesting experiences. I always do. Got myself into gale force. You ever been in gale force out on the high seas? That's a minimum of 30-foot waves. And you know what size boat we were in, that little ferry? 20-foot boat. Now, when you're in 30-foot waves with the winds howling and you're cresting these mountains like Psalms 107 and you are heaving up to the mountains and then you are going down like uh, surfboarding. 
<laughs> we were surfboarding down these waves, and when we hit the bottom, the waves would come completely over that little ferry. I mean, we were submerged temporarily, and we'd pop out, and we'd be going up another wave. We did that for four and a half hours. Oh, I thank God we didn't do it for 14 days like Paul had to, and nights. <laughs> I'm so glad the Scripture says 14 days and nights. <laughs> he didn't get translated off of the boat on, on, for nights, you know. He wasn't on day shift only. <laughs> it was 14 days and nights. You know, those days are bad enough when it goes on all night. That's really bad, isn't it? You ever, you ever battled an affliction and it doesn't let off in the day? And you've battled it all day long. And you feel so tired you want to lay down, you want to go to sleep, but it won't let you go to sleep. You're taking the night shift with it too. Yeah. Well, we were on our way to the westernmost island of Japan, out on the East China Sea. The winds were what they call gale force. We were got out about an hour from the port, and the captain come on, and he said, Do you want to turn back? We've hit into gale force. It's not going to get any better out here. And you know what? I hollered, No! <laughs> Keep going! I didn't want to turn on one of those big waves. Would you like to turn on one of those big waves and try to make a turnaround? It's better to keep going right into it. <laughs> keep going. Well, it wasn't very long after he said that that people stopped screaming, yelling. They got quiet. And then you look around and they start kind of turning that green color. You know what that means. Oh, dear me. <laughs> and I decided right then, now, now I have to do something different. And I've got to do it by faith because I'm beginning to feel a little woozy myself. And it's time to change this circumstance. Now, I could have said, Lord, just... Translate me out of here to that island and let me stand on the shore and watch that boat coming in eventually. <laughs> that would be the easy way out, wouldn't it? He didn't do that. But now, when I looked to the Lord and I said, Lord, I am not accepting this seasickness. Everybody around me was losing it. Oh, it was bad. <laughs> Even the boatsmen running with the buckets. Try running? Trying to get to people with buckets didn't make it in time. They got sick. That's the, the fellows that tend the kind of the deck underneath. We were, thank goodness, we were covered three-fourths of the way back on that ferry, but not in the very rear. So the pumps were really pumping the water out. If those pumps would have given way, now then we would have had phase two problem, right? It's time to... Well, that was too small of a boat. It had been rubber rafts. And that would have been different trying to ride those mountains on a rubber raft. I didn't want that. But my concern at that moment was all these people around me getting green and losing their breakfast. <laughs> and so I decided now I'm going to change course. 
I'm not the captain, but I am the captain of my soul. I'm going to change course. You know what I decided to do? Now I'm going to start to sing. And a song came to me. And I decided those dear Japanese people, I don't care if they've ever heard this song before or not, it doesn't matter to me. I'm going to sing because I'm not getting sick. I'm not accepting that. Ever been seasick before? Oh, you don't want to be. Especially when you're so sick and it still goes on and on and on. It doesn't stop. (laughs) You feel like you're turned inside out. And you're still trying to turn another inside out. (laughs) So you know what I decided? A song came to me. And I decided, now I'm going to sing. The voice of my beloved, lo, he comes. And I begin to sing. The voice of my beloved, lo, he comes. Leaping up on the mountains. Every time we'd hit the top of one of those waves, I'd make sure I was at that point in the verse. Leaping up on the mountains and skipping over the hills. The voice of my beloved, lo, he comes. I sang it for three hours. And you know what? At the end of that four and a half hour ferry ride going to that dock, people crawled out and laid down on the dock. I got up. My interpreter laid down on the dock. I said, come on, sing. Okay. I can't sing. Ever try to throw up singing? Doesn't work. He waited too long. I got there. And I said, brother, I'm hungry. He just sit down on the dock. And he just says, don't mention food to me. Oh, oh help me get off this dock. It's still moving. <laughs> I helped him get off the dock and he sit down. I went and had lunch. He said he thinks he not only lost breakfast, he lost dinner, lunch, breakfast the last three days. (laughs) I went and had lunch, and while I was having lunch, I found out there was another ferry heading out, a different kind of a boat that had glass windows in the bottom. And the purpose I wanted to go to that island was because it was the Yanaguni remains out there off of that Yanaguni island. That's why they called it the Yanaguni City. There's a city out there 500 feet underwater. And in that city, it has pyramids. It has altars of sacrifice. It has a submarine base that is identical in the architectural design of our Bangor submarine base, nuclear submarine base, off of the coast of the state of Washington. This is blowing the minds of the scientists and everybody. They're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. How could they have had nuclear submarines? (laughs) And when did this ocean fill up? (laughs) They don't know what to do with it. I watched a video over in Okinawa from the number one world-leading specialist on Aztecs, the Aztec Indians of the Atlantic region, you know, along the Atlantic lands. 
the Aztecs, their pyramids, their altars, and their architectural design. And he's telling how that these eight cities they found around the islands of Okinawa, all of them have these pyramids and architectural design of the Aztecs clear in the Atlantic region that their remains are above the water. And they're not sure what to do with this. <laughs> it's kind of blowing away all their theories, you know. They're not, have you heard a lot of yelling and screaming about evolution lately and all this stuff? You know what? They're kind of like going down for the third time. You know what it means to be going down for the third time? <laughs> it means you're about to drown. Psalms 85 clearly says that truth shall spring out of the earth and the Lord shall lead us in the way of his steps. <laughs> Mercy and truth shall look down from heaven. Hallelujah. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Oh, glory to God. All of that is part of the children of Israel crying out in those first verses, Lord, how long till you show us your mercy? How long till you pour down your glory? Well, young people, we are living in the generation when truth is springing out of the earth and out of the heavens so fast. I just briefly saw on the news here at the house where I was staying tonight they have discovered 1,200 and, I forget, 1,200 and some new planets now. All of a sudden, they just keep discovering new planets. And they're amazed. I'm not. My God is called the Creator, whether they want to call Him the Creator or not. Whether they want to believe in a Creator or not, that's their problem. But a Creator does what? You are a Creator because it's your nature to what? Create. Do you think he stopped with the heavens and the earth that we know? No, he didn't. The astronomers have told us for many, many years that whole new solar systems are exploding into existence all the time in the heavens. He's still creating, folks. <laughs> when, I, uh, when I died in 1984... In an automobile accident, my lovely wife killed me. <laughs> she was driving. It wasn't her fault. It really was my son's fault who kicked in his sleep and got the, got the head gear wires coming out of the dash caught up in his feet and, and the emergency brake and the gear shift and she was just, instead of just pulling the headphones off, she just over there trying to untangle them. And we were in the big mountains of Northern California. And next thing I know, we were off the road, boom, bang, bang, bang. And I was trying to sleep behind her because I'd been driving all night long. And I was in most wonderful sleep. Oh, all night long, driving up to that point, I was listening to the most wonderful music by the Gaithers. <laughs> Oh, my. Fully alive in the spirit. Remember that song? Remember the second song on that, that album? Then came the morning. 
I was fully alive all night long worshiping the Lord, and then came the morning. Seven o'clock, right up, that van went off and flipped and crushed my head in with ten people's luggage on the top, and that corner rack of those ten people's luggage come right through into my head as my head was thrown back just as I set up out of that sound sleep. My wife says, well, honey, if you'd have just stayed down, well, tell me something. When you're leaning dangerously and your wife is screaming at the top of her voice, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, and something's banging underneath, how many of you men would stay laying down? Oh, well, bless the Lord. This is a lovely morning. Honey, this is not the way to wake me up. I want to go back to sleep. No way. You're going to sit up to look at what's going on. I shouldn't have. I agree. But I did, and I got rammed right in the head with that bar as it came through the roof, and it sent me right through the heavens. (laughs) Before that van stopped tumbling and turning, I was already in the valley of the shadow of death. But... uh, you know, I didn't stay there. And in Psalms 23, David didn't stay there either, did he? He believed God. Yes, he says. Yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Talk about now faith is. <laughs> now, I didn't walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I was in a sitting position, and I went backwards into the valley of the shadow of death. I guess because I died in a sitting position, and we must have been going backwards. I don't know. <laughs> My wife and I and eight of our children in that van. I'm the only one that died. I praise the Lord for that death experience. In that half an hour, I got to go through the heavens. I got to see the planets. I got to hear them. I got to go all the way into the Milky Way and witness the Milky Way. I saw explosions in the heavens of planets exploding. That flames that were so massive came through the heavens at me. I thought for sure that my life would just go, and that'd be the end of it. You said, but you were dead. Let me tell you something. I'm not afraid of death. Not anymore. I was more of a person when I left my body than I was in my body. Oh, I thank God for that. Because in my body, with that metal bar in my head right here, it hurt. Driving my head, my 15-year-old daughter behind me said, Dad, your hands come up to the level of your shoulders and was pushing on the roof. I couldn't see your head. Well, my head was back, but it drove my head somehow flat (laughs) with that bar in it, and I left. And the last time it flipped over up into the air after hitting a boulder, it flipped me out from under that bar, and the bar come out of my head, cut my knee up on the headliner, and it come flying down to a soft landing. They said, I forced the sliding doors open. I got out. My 10-year-old who crawled out where the windshield was, his door wouldn't open. (laughs) 
he come around just in time to see me force the sliding door open and step out. And he said, you stepped out and you just fell over like a tree. He said, his, his mind and definition of, of death or whatever he saw, he says, Dad, I looked up into your eyes and your face, but you weren't there. I knew I wasn't. I left before that van stopped tumbling and turning. <laughs> I heard my wife say once, Oh, Lord, we're going over. I had turned the wheel over to her in mountains where if you went off of those roads, you'd go down 2,000 feet easily without stopping. But they didn't go over. It came down and it stopped beside the road. It should have went Boom, boom. All the witness said that came up in the air with such force that when it hit the ground, they expected it to tumble and keep going and disintegrate. And it didn't. It stopped sideways on the edge of the road. Didn't move. I got out, forced the door, and fell on the ground. They immediately started trying to do CPR when they saw there was no breathing, no blood, no heart beat. But they quickly quit trying to do CPR because when they blew in my mouth, the hole in my head, blood flew out in their face. How long would you do CPR? <laughs> I wouldn't, sorry. One of the men put his hand over the hole, blew in my mouth, blood blew out my nose into his face. <laughs> they decided at that point, if we could get him heart beating breathing, he would hemorrhage to death before any helicopter or ambulance would even get here. There's no use. They step back. I lay there. No, I wasn't there. <laughs> My older children were looking at me, crying. My wife was taking care of the four younger ones in the back hatch, taking them to the other side of the van away from the van in case it caught fire, put them on a blanket, praying over each of them, talking to them, thinking that I was taking care of the older ones on the other side because she, as she got out, she saw me get out. So she thought I was all right, you see. <laughs> the United States Air Force number one spinal specialist had tended many, many crash victims when I gave my testimony in a Baptist church one night, he come up to me and he says, I want to see you in the back room now. I didn't know who he was. Boy, he interrogated me four times over. He even had me put fingers, two fingers back here where this springing action would go and where the hole was in my head and the springing action. This was about 12 days after the accident. I still had a big scab there in this springing action. I was blind. When I come into my body, I could hear, but I couldn't feel anything from here down. I could feel my eyes blinking. I thought my eyes were bleeding, but it was the blood running down into my sinus area because that bar had gone into my sinus cavity. You see, what's 30-foot waves? What's an angry ocean when you've been through some battles like that and the Lord has brought you back? That Air Force specialist said, 
after four times over asking me the same question, putting me, having me two, fi- put two fingers back there. He put one finger in the middle. He jingled. He says, is that where the springing action was? I says, yeah, that's it. Four times he did that, all the same questions over. He come around in front of me. He says, man, do you realize you are a walking, living miracle? I says, I could have told you that. I thought I said that tonight in my testimony. I thought, well, bless his heart, he's just a Baptist. He didn't believe in miracles, I guess. But I I was convinced of miracles. (laughs) I didn't know, you know. (laughs) I love the Baptists. They're tremendous evangelists, you know. They'll they'll win souls. Let me tell you, they'll win souls and they'll wind up here. (laughs) Because they, they get hungry. They want the Holy Ghost, and they won't let them have it, so they'll come here and get it. You know, they'll come over to you and get the Holy Ghost. <laughs> That's all right. They're the gate. They've got to get in the gate. They've got to get in the door, don't they? They get them in the door, and you get them into the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Nothing wrong with that. Bless them. Love them. So that doctor said to me, he said, I understand that when you come into your body, you heard that forest ranger. You didn't know who it was at that time. On that two-way radio, after they said, he's breathing, he's got pulse. And a woman said, go get ice cubes and a towel. And they ran to their travel home. And he grabbed the ice cubes out of the freezer, looked up. It was 7.30. He says, that's how I figured it was a minimum of 27 minutes, probably 30 minutes, you were dead. Because the 7 o'clock news just came on when that van flipped upside down. That was the flip that went into my head. And I don't remember much after that. I remember that bone-crushing feeling and sound. Oh, boy, that hurt. But it was so brief. God has made us so fearfully and so wonderfully. Do you know that? He has made us where our bodies check out. They go unconscious or they die when the pain is too much. That's a fail-safe system. We are truly, fearfully, and wonderfully made. That has helped me at the scene of accidents as I drive 20, 30, 35,000 miles a year across America and Canada and come across accidents. It has helped me to understand that when a person's mangled body is there and they're unconscious, I don't get all emotional that they're in such pain. They're out. If they're still alive, I'm going to talk to them because you know what? When I come back into my body, I was blind, but I could hear. I heard perfectly, and I have led people to the Lord at scenes of accidents. I've led bikers who had a handlebar in his mouth and out the top of his head, and the police officer wanted me to stay away from him, said, let him die in peace. I said, I want him to die in peace, sir. I'm a minister. I want to go talk to him. He says, well, he's going to die any second. I said, no, I know, sir, but I've been in a similar situation, and I know he can hear me. Please, sir, let me go over this line. Let me go in there. He says, ah, go do your thing. I was not going to give up. He was still entangled in that motorcycle bar and the mangled wreck of that where he'd head on into a truck passing somebody and there wasn't room. As he passed, the person changed lanes, nowhere for him to go. I'll never forget that. I said, I know you can hear me. 
I've been in a similar situation. I know you can hear me. Now listen, no matter what you've done in your life, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, paid your price for your salvation. Don't let the devil tell you that you're not able to be forgiven. You ask Jesus in your mind. I know you can't speak. I know that. But you ask Jesus right now in your heart and in your mind to come into your heart and cleanse you of all sin. And I want to tell you something, young man. You will go to heaven. I'll see you in heaven. Do it now. Do it now. I'm going to say these words and you just agree with me. And I went through the sinner's prayer and all of a sudden I heard this trying to make a sound, and then his body went limp. I know what that was. It was a signal. I heard you. I did it, and he fell into peace. And the police officer, state patrol, come over. He says, well, I told you it wasn't lasting long. I says, I know. But, sir, I'll see him again. And you know what? Hallelujah. Do you know how he'll recognize me? He couldn't see me. He couldn't see me. His face was toward the the tank, the gas tank. Most of the bar was behind his head. It was a horrible sight. How will I know? How will he know me? It'll be written in my white raiment. That testimony I just gave you will be written in my white raiment. Do you know that? That's Revelation chapter 19. For the white raiment is the righteousness of the saints. Oh, hallelujah. It's what you do righteously before the Lord is what is woven, what makes up your white raiment in heaven. Hallelujah. You know, it started with losing. Well, man, the first thing man tried to do when he realized he was naked was what? Try to make his own covering, didn't he? And he was sewing the most ridiculous kind of an apron you'd ever hear in your life. Fig leaves. Anybody here ever crawl up among fig leaves? I challenge you. Remember what I'm saying tonight. See if it's not true. This summer, when those fig leaves are nice, big, and dark green and pretty, just pluck one off. Don't get any of that white juice out of it on you because when it dries, it's going to look like something else dried, brownish. And it's going to be stick to you like goo. You know what goo is? You people try to fix their tennis shoes with them. (laughs) It's going to stick to you like that. You can't scratch it off. You put soap on it, and you will go red before you get it all off. (laughs) That's what the juice is that comes out of that leaf, of that fig leaf. And just take and apply that fig leaf to a tender part of your body. Just, I dare you. Just rub it like right here. Not on your shirt or your blouse, but I mean bare skin. And have a good time. Man, I shouldn't have been rubbing against that fig leaf. Now tell me something. Is that really wisdom? This man is the man, the first man created by God, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He named every animal, plant, every living creature. Tremendous knowledge 
But when he fell into sin, he was so dumbed. <laughs> Listen, I've been working tropics for 15 years, and I want to tell you something. There had to have been some tropical leaves there that one leaf would cover this side, one leaf would cover that side, or you could wrap one leaf around and just tie it over here, forget about sewing, and it wouldn't be itchy, it would be smooth and comfortable and it'd be pretty. But he chose of all the leaves a fig leaf. <laughs> no wonder he ran and hid when he heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden. <laughs> Let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. I've got a bad case of the hives. <laughs> the Lord will know we've been doing something. Man. Well, you know, that's what the Scripture says. It says, be sure. Your sins will find you out. It started in the garden, and it has never changed. I've raised 13 children. I had a good part of it. I've been gone uh, quite a few years, but at least I didn't, well, I'm going to say I didn't start going internationally until a good number of them were raised, but our youngest was two years old, and our twin daughters were four. I guess I did start going internationally. <laughs> they both got children of their own now, married. <laughs> uh, but you know something I learned raising all those 13 children? Now listen, young people. When they were doing something wrong, they put on their door, do not enter. This means you. <laughs> no trespassing. Private. Mm. What are they doing in there? They're hiding. It goes all the way back to Genesis, doesn't it? Adam, Eve, where are you? Oh, come on. Is that in the Bible? It is, isn't it? It says he called out to them. And they didn't answer. They were too busy. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, we're in trouble. <laughs> but you see, the saddest part of that is, I believe they were covered with the glory of God, and they lost the glorious covering. But you know, according to Ephesians 5.27, you and I, as God's ch children, are predestined, predetermined by Almighty God to be conformed into the likeness into the image of the Son of God. Wow. To the image of when he took his disciples and went upon that mountain and was transfigured before them. And his raiment, it says, shined like the sun. 
That's what he was wearing. Wouldn't you like that? His raiment shined like the sun. Remember when Moses come down off the mountain with the commandments? The second time after 80 days fasting and praying. That's more than the, you know, the holy man over in China. He went 76 days, right? Bless his heart, but he was persecuted and tortured and all. Moses wasn't on that mountain, I don't think, but... uh, But when he come down off of that mountain that second time, his face shined so bright, they all ran into their tents and hid. (laughs) They couldn't stand to look on him. They had to go backwards to him and put a veil over his face. He shined too bright for them to look at him. When I was 17 years old, I got a taste of that. I don't know if any of you have ever had this opportunity. (laughs) Connie, Connie says I'm not normal. (laughs) She, I was talking to my wife yesterday and she said, I want to talk to her. And I gave her the phone and she says, you know, you have an abnormal husband. He's not normal. (laughs) I was laughing. You know why she said that? Because of what I had told her. I told her about when I was 17, and I was coming home from the night class in college, and here was this big gospel tent. A.A. Allen, God's mighty man of faith and power. Well, I had been in his meetings from about seven years old, and... uh, I hadn't seen him for probably three, four years in his tent there because I was too busy and everything. And uh, so I thought, wow, there's his big tent on the fairgrounds. I'm pulling in there. I'm going to go. It was 10, 15, 10, 20 at night. It'll still be going on. He'll still be praying for people. So I head in and I head down the middle aisle because one person alone, you can always find one seat that's available. So I was hurrying down the middle aisle to find that one seat And he's up on that stage, and he's preaching back and forth. And he comes back over, and he says, get my chair over here. And they brought a chair over by the edge of the platform. And he says, now listen to me. He says, how many of you out there have never experienced the power of the living God? Get up here. Hey, I was about 20 feet from the front row. I had seen an empty seat. I was heading for it. It was the second row back, just a couple over from the aisle. I was moving toward it, but I didn't worry about that seat anymore. I just took off on a dead run and was the first one up there. And he sit down in that chair, and I come running up on that ramp, and I come in front of him, and all I remember, (laughs) all I remember (laughs) was those two hands coming at the top of my head. And it was all over. I felt like lightning bolt went from the top of my head out my toes. I don't remember anything for probably, I don't know how long it was. I know it was probably about 1130 by the time I got into my car. So it had to been over an hour that I was out of it. And when I came to... I was sitting in that deep sawdust that they had in those tents. Back then, sawdust was free. The sawmills would give it to you free, so he would bring truckloads in, and it was called the sawdust trail. 
and you'd come down for healing or salvation down the sawdust trail. That was a common saying in the 50s and, and 60s. And uh, this was in 1960. And I sit up in my, my sports letter sweater, my wool, it was in winter, my wool letter sweater is full of sawdust. My shirt is full of sawdust. My shoes are full of sawdust. And these people are sitting on the front row, about 15 of them. That's the only ones left in the tent. And they're saying, he's coming around. And I sit up and I look around and I thought, well, oh, Alan's gone. There's no organist, nobody up there. Who's coming around? I says, who's coming around? I'm sitting there trying to get the sawdust off of me. And they said, you. I said, where did everybody go? That thing was full. Where'd they all go? Oh, they've, they've been gone a quite a while. We've been just staying here watching you. I says, well, what did I, what, how did I get all, somebody, were you dumping sawdust all over me? How did I get all this sawdust? I had more hair then too. <laughs> it was in my hair. It was everywhere. And I said, were you dumping sawdust all over me? What, what was going on? They said, no, brother, you were a holy roller tonight. You rolled back and forth. When he hit the top of your head on that ramp with his two hands, you spun in the air like a top. You went over the side of the railing. You come down in that sawdust, and you have been rolling back and forth, speaking in another language. <laughs> and you just stopped. And I said, I did? I didn't even know I was rolling. It's one thing to be a holy roller. It's another thing. You know, to, you know, I got called a holy roller in high school. They called because I went to a Pentecostal church. And I finally shut them down by looking up in the dictionary, holy roller. Holy means pure, and roller means motivation. So I'd tell my students, fellow students, well, you're right. I guess I am. I, 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 I haven't been filled with the Holy Ghost yet, and I've never rolled or anything. <laughs> <laughs> hadn't up to that point in high school when I graduated. But, yeah, I believe in being a holy roller. Boy, they wouldn't call me a holy roller for anything after that, purely motivated. <laughs> so that shut that down. Just give them definition of what they're calling you. See what I mean? <laughs> but I got up, took my sweater off, was shaking it out. And my car was way out on the far edge of the parking lot, away from the lights, because all the cars were there when I came. He was still preaching. And uh, I walked way out there to my 49 Oldsmobile. <laughs> That's an antique now, you know. <laughs> Called collector's items. <laughs> and I got in, shut the door, and the whole inside of the car was lighted, lit up. And I thought my dome light right up here had stuck on. I thought, well, I got my door closed. And when I looked up to look at my dome light, in my peripheral vision, I could see myself in the mirror, rearview mirror. Something was shining in the rearview mirror. It wasn't the dome light. It was my face. I looked at my face. And I said, I'm glowing. I'm glowing. Wow. My face is lit up like a light bulb. I'm glowing. Woohoo! Wow, I really got supercharged tonight. <laughs> I was shouting. I started that thing up. 
and was heading down the road. The first traffic light had come to. These people look at me. He's blowing. He's blowing. His face. He's blowing. And everybody in the car. He's glowing. You can read their lips. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm glowing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's a real holy glower now. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not normal. How many of you have had an experience like that? How many would like to? Oh, let me tell you, people, it was glorious. I had a hard time going to sleep that night. I wanted to wake up the whole family and say, look at me, I'm glowing. My dad had to be up at 4 o'clock to go to work, and I wouldn't do it. But I wasn't glowing when I woke up in the morning. It kind of, I don't know what you call it, evaporated, (laughs) something. But I want to tell you something, people. It's coming again. It's coming again. In two. T-S-U, Tsu, the Japanese pronounce it, Tsu, to Japan. We had a big coliseum, a dual coliseum there, two circular coliseums, and a massive parking lot, maybe almost a square mile of a parking lot. And the steps going up to these big coliseums were like this, going up to these big circular auditoriums. And uh, I was preaching that night in the one, and all these Japanese people were there, thousands of Japanese people, just talking to the Lord, talking to them about the Lord and things like this. Then I began to give the invitation to give their hearts to the Lord. And they began putting their hands up. And as they were putting their hands up, something caught my attention. Way up in the top, higher than these lights, they were the big blue mercury vapor lights. These are sodium vapor probably. But they were mercury vapor, and they they burn a bright blue. Way up in the top of that Colosseum were these blue lights. And I saw smoke beginning to curl down all over. And this, in my mind, it was, it was like indignation. And I said, no way. I rebuked that fire in the name. If I'd have known what I was doing, I wouldn't have done it. But I rebuked that in the name of Jesus. We're getting this, this altar call. We're getting these people down here, and we're going to get them saved. I'm not hollering fire. <laughs> and so I, I started again. Tell them now, I want you to come down. And people were standing. They were all standing. And all of a sudden, I looked up again. And that, what I thought was smoke, had come down. And it covered all of those blue lights. I saw it covering those lights. And as that cloud covered those lights, they turned black as coal. Black. No light for the glow of the cloud that was coming down. The cloud that was falling was brighter than the mercury vapor lights. It made them look like coal. And the Lord said, I'm coming down in my glory. Loose the shoes off your feet. 
tell the keyboardist to come up and start playing holy, holy, holy. And so I said, listen, people, the glory of God is coming down. It's going to take care of the rest of where we're going tonight. As I was loosing the shoes off my feet, my interpreter was on the right of me. I loosed my shoes off. And as that keyboardist went up there and started playing holy, 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 I went down on my face and people began screaming and crying out. It was almost deafening. I once looked up and people were falling on their faces just all over, screaming. I sang holy, holy like I've never sang holy in all my life. You ever tried to sing holy so deep that you were trying to draw it from your tip of your big toe? I could not sing it deep enough. It, it was like it was not sufficient. I wanted my whole being to sing it out, but I couldn't get it loose. I couldn't sing it enough. The presence of God was that strong. After some time, and I have no idea how long it was, the Spirit of the Lord said to me, You don't need an interpreter. Leave your shoes off. Get down off of the stage. The stage was probably another foot higher than this stage. And it was kind of half moon. And there were giant drapes that came down on each side so that from the podium... You'd only see so far, but you couldn't see all the way back of the half moon of this giant stage. And the Lord said, I want you to go to the far right section, and I want you to lay hands on every one of them. Leave your shoes off. And I went over there, and the first one was a little lady, a little Japanese lady, all in a heap, crying. I touched her head. She came up with both hands singing in the most beautiful language that was not English or Japanese. The next one I touched came up singing or speaking in another language. Every single one of them I touched as I crawled over people just to touch them. Every one of them responded either coming up speaking in a new language or singing in a new language. I prayed over the entire section. They estimated it was about 75 people in that small piece of the pie of that angle of that big Colosseum. I got up to the very top. All of these people I had touched were worshiping the Lord. People all over then began worshiping the Lord. And the song of the Lord was just going in waves back and forth. I'd love for it to have had there to have been a camera there that night. We had no cameras. You don't, that isn't common in Japan. And I'm standing there with my hands raised up above them. All these people I had prayed over. Somebody's tapping me on the shoulder. A little short Japanese man comes up to me. And he says, want what you have. This means in Japanese, I. They don't use the word I in Japan. The emperor took it away from them. You're individuality. You're not an individual. So when you want to say I, you go, want what you have. That's their way of saying I. And he's going like this, want what you have. I said, raise your hands. It's free. Laid hands on him. Nothing happened. Three times we do that. And he said, no, you don't understand. I said, yes, I do. It's, it's free. It's all right. And they had, nothing would happen. Finally, after the third time, he's ready to, he's ready to 
say it again. I want what you have. And I said, well, just receive it. It's free. And he said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I want what you too, with all of these people, I, their pastor, they all deaf and dumb. I never hear them speak. I want to lay hands on the deaf and dumb and they speak and they sing. I about passed out then. We came out and finally they came and got me because I was just going around praying over and with people and they came and got me and they said, we have to get out. Two o'clock, they're going to close the gates and they won't be able to get your cars out. You got to get out of here. And if you don't go, they won't go. So they said, follow us. We got your Bible. We got your shoes. <laughs> they brought my shoes to me. I put them on. I never got back on that stage. We head out the door, and sure enough, they're following us. We go out into this big staircase that winds down from that side of the Colosseum and the other side, big Colosseum. Over there was an American me- uh, rock group, very heavy metal rock group. Thousands of young people were over there. And wouldn't you know, we just happened to be coming out the same time they came out. And they hurried me out and down these steps, they had the car waiting for me to get into to get going, to keep the people moving. Because if you stop, they won't get out the gate and they'll have to go and they'll have to come back tomorrow night to get their cars before they close them again. So you've got to keep moving. And so I go to get in the car, the door's open, and I turn to say goodbye and to wave. And I look, and every one of the people coming out of our meeting, their faces are glowing, people. Their faces were glowing like light bulbs. And everyone coming out of the heavy metal rock group, their faces were dark. But they were looking at the people coming out of the auditorium. And they were looking and pointing They could see the glory of God on the people's faces. And I said to my interpreter, I'm not leaving till you run up among our people and tell them, start sharing Jesus. Share Jesus. This is an opportunity for thousands of young people to see the glory of God and to come to Jesus. And when I left in that car, like I said, I'd love to have had a video camera. These lights were mixing among the darkness. They were going among the darkness. And people were witnessing and telling about what Jesus was doing. People, that's a taste. That's a taste of the promise of what God is saying, I'm going to do in the last days. I will pour out. I will pour out of my spirit. In Joel chapter 2, he said, I will multiply. In the, in, the, in the birth of the church, in the book of Acts, it says he added <laughs> daily such as should be added. Who would ever want to stay with addition when you can enter into multiplication? Think about it. This is what is predestined for his church. People say, well, the Lord could come any second. The rapture could take place before this meeting's over. Then you better start shining quick because I want to tell you something. He's coming for a church that is glorious. And if you look at that Greek word glorious, it means bright, shining, and apparent as the noonday sun. You're going to shine. Are you getting ready? 
But remember something. The glory is a multiplier. And the scripture says, do not, do not let sin dwell in your mortal body. Because even as the glory is a multiplier, whatever's in you when the glory comes down will be multiplied. If there is sin, it will be multiplied. Oh, no, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. When Lucifer, with his pride and all, came before the glorious throne, what happened? It puffed up. It multiplied. And Jesus said, I saw Satan plucked out of heaven with what? The little finger of God. And he fell as lightning. Whoa. So keep it pure. Keep it holy. Ask God for fear. Believe me, since these kind of experiences, when sin tries to come at me, do you think I can be tempted? The Bible says if we say we've not tempted, we say we've not sinned, we make God a liar, right? But with every temptation there is provided what? A way of escape, an exit door. Take it. Take it. Run through it if you have to. Go out it. Run. <laughs> in. It's hard. I've got to make sure I don't have any spittle in my mouth when I say this. <laughs> Sorry. I've got to clear here. In Wales, when I was walking Wales, part of Great Britain, where they have the international annual world or international estefad or Welsh sing. That's a Welsh word for Welsh sing. That town is called, you'll see why I want to clear my throat. My mouth. That's the way they, they speak. It's L-L-A-N-G-O-L-L-E-N. Two L's is it's like you got a bunch of marbles in your mouth and you're talking around and their cheeks kind of go I <laughs> can't do it even as good as they do it but they're Welsh but uh, I had been walking and praying the previous town and there was no lodging in that town so Clangoughlin was not my next town but it was the only town that had lodging so I got a taxi from the little town I was walking and asked the taxi driver, take me to the nearest lodging. Yes, sir. So he took me to the nearest lodging. Nearest because it costs less for the taxi and costs less to go back to the little town I got to finish walking, right? So he takes me to this place and I pay my fee. And uh, by then, it's about 10.30 at night. My feet are fro- feel like they're frozen because I've been walking in pouring rain all day with about 45 degrees temperature. I'm soaked and cold. And so I pour in my tub a hot bath because I can't go to sleep with cold feet and uh, take a hot bath to get warmed up. And uh, 
I'm warmed up and I put on my pajamas and I crawl into that bed and I'm off into this oh, wonderful sleep. About two in the morning, I'm awakened by all this filthy jesting and laughing. And I sit up, and it's on rooms all around me. And I said, Lord, I, I remitted their sins. I asked the Lord to pour his love and his goodness on them that leads them to repentance. I did everything that I knew to do. And finally, I just said, Lord, will you just quiet them down? I want to get some sleep. And about that time, this lady just comes barging in my door. The, the doors didn't lock with nothing on, jumping into my bed. I went out the other side. I said, stay in there. Stay covered up. I'm out of here. <laughs> I ran in the bathroom and shut the door. And, and I says, now, get out of my room. Now. And she said, well, you paid for me to be here. I said, I did not. I wouldn't do that. It comes with a room. I said, I don't care. I don't want you and I don't want the room. Well, didn't the taxi driver tell you? Nobody told me anything like that. Get out of my room. <laughs> and so, <laughs> lovely experience. You see why he sends them out two by two? You say, well, you were out of order. You should have went two by two. You're absolutely right. I've been told that a thousand times. But have you ever sang the song? I have decided <laughs> to follow Jesus, right? What's one of those verses? Though none go with me. Who's none? You ever met him or her? <laughs> Still I will follow, right? Though none go with me, Still I will follow. The Lord reminded me of that many times when I'd try to get people to go with me in those early years of prayer walking. Prayer walking? What is that? Never heard of such a thing. Are you a missionary? No. Are you an evangelist? Well, I don't know. I walk and I witness to people, but I walk streets and pray them. Every streets of cities and villages, I walk them, I pray them. Oh, no, I don't want to do that. That doesn't sound very exciting. Uh, I won't be there. Though none go with me. Listen, let me tell you something. You know the Macedonian cry? For we have heard the Macedonian cry, right? Do you know I would hear that nation, that city crying out. And I would turn into nothing but a ball baby. My children and my wife always knew when it was soon time for me to go again, I'd be up in my room on my face weeping. And I would wait for the Lord to tell my wife the same nation and the same city. Then within six days after the Lord confirmed it with my wife, why did I wait for him to tell her? Because I want to tell you something. We're in this together. We're either one or we're none. I'm not leaving my wife behind in the ministry. She's not leaving her husband behind. We're in this together. 
Why? Because if our relationship is not strong together, our prayers are hindered. Isn't that what the Scripture says? That your prayers be not hindered. Do you think I'd want to go into the places I've been in the earth and have my prayers hindered? No way, no how. (laughs) Some of you have heard my testimonies of places I've been. Places where angels fear to tread and where I feared to tread, and I said, I need a whole lot more peace, and if you give it to me, I'll go, but until I get more peace, I'm not going. (laughs) And the peace of God would flood my heart and my mind and my spirit, and I would go. And he was with me. She went out the door. I went in, got dressed by the door. (laughs) With my back to the door, if she opened it, she wasn't going to see me getting dressed. I'm a very modest person. And I thought, well, I'll go in. I'd leave my clothes on, get in bed. And if she comes again, I'm out of here. So it went on noisy. And I said, Lord, by this time, it's about 2.33 in the morning. I said, Lord, quiet them down. I'd like a little sleep. And the Lord said, I'm not going to. You get out. Oh, okay. Lord, you ever tried to tell God what time it is? <laughs> huh? He wakes you up in the middle of the night. Lord, it's 3 o'clock. Why do you want me to pray now? I'll pray at 8 o'clock. But now? <laughs> yeah, I told him. He said, go, get out. There was no phone in my room or anything, (laughs) no lock on the door. Put my shoes on, socks and shoes on, and got my backpack ready. It seemed to be, I looked down the aisle, the hall, nobody was in it. I ran out of that room, ran down those stairs, ran to go out the door. And the deadbolt was locked, only unlockable with a key. Oh, no, and no key in it. That's against fire code. Do you know that? And here comes this little gray-headed elderly lady running up. She's fully dressed. And she says, where are you going, mister? I said, I'm going out of here. Open that door. She says, you haven't had breakfast yet. I said, I don't want any breakfast. I don't want to eat in that place. But you paid for breakfast. I said, I don't care. I didn't pay for what was offered to me up there either. Oh, she says, you're one of them. I said, one of what? One of those that doesn't want to crawl in bed or have a woman crawl in bed with I'm a married man. I don't do that to my wife. Now open the door. She says, you don't have to get snobbish about it. I'm going to fetch the key. Have patience. I said, just keep those women up there. They'll be all right. Don't need to shout. I says, you haven't heard them? (laughs) She comes back, opens the door, and I take off running out of there with my backpack on, and the rain had turned to freezing rain. I run out of that place, and I am slipping off the sidewalk out in the street trying to get my balance all over the place. I wind up out in the middle of the street standing on a skating rink looking around thinking, Dear Lord, you made me get out on freezing rain. 
What am I going to do? I don't have a place. I don't catch my bus or transportation till seven. I got over four hours. Help. I see a British phone booth. Oh, whew, shelter. <laughs> so I go open the little folding door and get in there and close it. And the Lord says, Call your wife. I said, call my wife. I called her two nights ago. You see, you talk to God sometimes like he doesn't know anything. I'm guilty. I've done it. We've all done it. This thing between our ears and the top of our head will do it every time. It thinks it knows more than God. Do you know that? That's why Romans chapter 8, verses 7 through 9 says, It's enmity. It's declared war on God. No, it cannot please God. (laughs) The Lord said, call home. Well, okay. All right, Lord. Get in my backpack, get my coins, start dumping them in. I've got coins enough to just talk for maybe two minutes. Second ring or so answers. Henry. Yes, honey, what is it? She says, oh. Henry, I've been calling all over Great Britain, where you normally stay and all, trying to find you. I said, what is the problem? What's happened? She said, your son, Peter, is laying on the floor in a pool of blood. I've been calling to try to get a hold of you to pray for him. I've been praying, but it won't stop. He's hemorrhaging to death, Henry. He is like as white as a sheet right now. He doesn't have the strength to get up, even lift his head. He's dying. I says, all right, let's pray. Get the kids to get around him and let's pray. And we start praying. And all of a sudden, the kids are saying, his color's changing. I could hear it over the phone. His color's changing. And he sits up. And he says, I'm going to be all right. The bleeding stopped. People... We just have to be sensitive to the Lord. And sometimes he has to put us in a place where we wouldn't want to be to get our attention, to get us where he wants us, when he wants us. If I'd have been in a clean motel, I I wouldn't, I don't know if he'd have woke me up and said, go call. I don't know if I'd have listened. Do you see what I mean? After I got done praying and rejoicing in the Lord, talked to Peter. He says, I'm going to be all right, Dad. Policeman comes walking by after I hung up. A Bobby, they call him. He kind of goes like this and looks at me standing there. I grab the phone like I'm talking. (laughs) He goes on, kind of slipping and sliding, but he goes on. You know how you do the shuffle when you're on ice? Kind of moonwalking, only forward. (laughs) A little while later, he comes back by. I didn't see him coming that time because I was hovering in there, looking the other way. Next thing I know, tap, tap with his nightstick. Oh, no. I'm going to be taken to jail for vagrancy probably. (laughs) I got my backpack sitting there down at my feet. He says, open up. I says, just a minute, I have to move my pack. (laughs) Couldn't get the door open with it in there. Move over tight. Move it open. He says, what are you, a vagrant? 
You have no money for lodging. You know what we do with vagrants. <laughs> just my fear, just what I feared was coming on me. <laughs> I said, no, sir. The truth is there was no lodging over in Rosson Y. And so I had to come here for lodging. A taxi driver brought me. He brought me to that place. And I don't live like that. I paid my fee. But when it got too bad for me to stay there, I headed out. And I felt it's better in this phone booth than there. Oh, he says, that place. So you're not that kind. I says, no. He says, you're American. I said, yeah. He says, what are you doing here? I says, well, I'm here on a mission. (laughs) I'm praying for Great Britain. Well, he says, I'll tell you what, prayer. Why don't you come on down to the jail with me? And I said, do I have to? He says, listen, laddie, it's warmer there. There's a nice bed in the cell. It's all clean bedding. It's warm in there. There's no one else in the jail but me at night. We don't have anyone in there to disturb you. You can sleep and I'll wake you up. What are you doing? What are you, you, you catching a transport? I said, yeah, 7 o'clock. He says, I'll wake you up. But you look like you need a good hot cup of tea. <laughs> so I got a good hot cup of tea and a warm bed. About 6.30, as he says, half past 6, he wakes me up and he says, well, he says, you had a good sleep. You certainly seem to be sleeping good. I said, there was peace here. There wasn't in that place. He says, yeah, they get pretty wild, don't they? I says, oh, they get wild. That's an understatement. (laughs) Well, he says, you better go get your transport. But he says, I fixed you a little breakfast here. I picked you up some breakfast. You don't need to go hungry. I said, well, let me pay for it. It's not that I don't have money. He says, it's all right. It's on me. We need lots of prayer. (laughs) You see, you never know what's going to happen, do you? You never know when you start walking with Jesus where you're going to wind up. Right? You sing it, where he leads me, I'll follow. And boy, I mean, we sing some serious, a lot of these are old songs. You may not know them very well. But it even says, I'll go with him through the judgment. I'll go with him all the way. How far are you willing to go with Jesus? I've walked places where I wasn't willing. He had to make me willing. (laughs) I've gone places where I did not want to go. He had to give me a desire. But you know what? Afterwards, I come out with a glorious testimony. And all I can say when I come out of that environment is, look what the Lord has done. (laughs) That's worth it. Do you know that? Not what Henry did. Because in my flesh, even Paul said it, my heart and my flesh fail me. But God is the strength of my life. David said, what time I am afraid, I will trust in the Lord. I love David's writings because he says this every so often, you know. 
He just he gets into these expressions and things. He gets himself in some horrible messes, and God brings him out, doesn't he? Hallelujah. I mean, he's taking bread and cheese to his brethren. He just wants to see what this warfare is about. All he knows is tending his father's sheep, right? Just a ruddy little kid is what the King James calls him. A ruddy little kid. So he's just going for some bread and cheese for his brothers. A very kind deed. And he gets there with the bread and cheese. And his brothers begin to rail on him. You snotty, nosed, little nosed brat. I know you talked dad and mom into doing this. What are you doing here? We're about to fight a war. And you come sticking your nose in. Now we've got to protect little brother. Don't you think that was what was going on? I think it was. It's very na- naughty language that they're saying. And about that time, Goliath sticks his head up, doesn't he? Ooh, that was a mistake. He should have stayed down in that canyon or whatever it was, that gorge that was between the two armies. He should have kept his mouth shut. (laughs) He didn't know the God of David, did he? What happened when David went after him? He was so angry, Goliath was. He says, am I a dog that you send a kid out at me? Isn't there somebody there that's bigger? You ought to be ashamed sending a little kid out here. Talk about humiliating. Oh, it's too late, isn't it? By then, David had picked up five smooth stones, and he took what he had proven with his God, hadn't he? For he said to Saul, I killed a lion who come out of my father's sheep. I killed a bear, and I took the lamb out of his mouth. Oh, boy. And that uncircumcised Philistine today will be no different. (laughs) Oh, boy. David practiced that Hebrews 11. Now, now, faith is its substance. It's the evidence that you can't see it. All of Israel were hiding in their tents, weren't they? David's brothers didn't offer to go fight Goliath. Saul didn't offer to. The king who was head and shoulders above them all, the Scripture says, he was the giant of Israel. <laughs> no, took a ruddy little kid that simply believed now faith is. And he had the faith and the assurance to go forward. And that's the simplicity. I have no other testimony of the things that I have witnessed in my life than that. There's no other testimony. I don't have any other solution. I don't have any other answer. I don't have any other remedy that I could say, this is the perfect pattern. This is the perfect remedy. Do it this way. No, all I can say is just simply, now faith is in the face of whatever you are facing that boasts itself against you, your brother, your sister, the church, the nation. Now faith is. And if it is, let me tell you something. You can release the hand of God and it will work. And when God lets loose, there is a guaranteed victory. And then we have a celebration. And we say, look what the Lord has done. Hallelujah. And that's the simplicity of it, people. But I want to tell you something. It'll cost you everything. Oh, you thought it was free? <laughs> Paul said it this way, didn't he? 
He said, I've suffered the loss of all things and counted them but dung, that I may win the excellency of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Another place it says, let. That means give permission, doesn't it? Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. Ooh. The only way that can happen is by the power of the Holy Spirit when you hold on to faith and don't let go. Hold on to faith and don't let go. God is so good. He's so merciful. He's so wonderful. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. We don't. But when we release him, all people, then that axe, we get the axe. <laughs> you ever hear the expression, man, he got the axe? We get the axe. Chapter 1, verse 8. You, but you, who's you? You, you, you. You shall receive power. After the Holy Ghost is come upon you, you shall receive power. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Power to be what? To be a witness. That means you get to see it. That means you're not going to turn your back and run away and not see it. You're going to, having done all to stand with your arm on, you're going to what? You're going to stand and see it happen. I'm no Superman. There have been times, many times in my life, I've wanted to turn and run. But I didn't. I just asked for more grace. I asked for more peace. I asked for more, more, more faith to stand. And having done all to stand, just stand. And when I stand, I see the power of God. And it's awesome. It's beautiful. And then... I come out saying, look what the Lord has done. Hallelujah. I don't want to keep you late. I know you got school tomorrow and all. Keep these scriptures in mind. 10.23 of Hebrews. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that has promised. He is. Let us consider one another. Because when genuine faith is operating, that fruit will exist. You will be considerate one of the other. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Let us do that. And now the just shall live by his faith, by her faith, by their faith. And now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Hallelujah.
Oh, precious name, Lord. That Hebrews 11 is a powerful chapter. We all are familiar with it, but are we familiar with it in our personal life? Do we let it work in us when the obstacle comes in the way, when the challenge appears? We must. We must. Because God is faithful. He's not always in a hurry. You need to understand that as young Christians. (laughs) Our God is never in a hurry. Do you know that? But you know what's beautiful about him? He's always on time. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? We get in a hurry and we wind up late. (laughs) You know the saying, the hurrier I go, the behinder I get. (laughs) But our God is never in a hurry, but he is always on time. Hallelujah. Father in heaven. Thank you for these precious vessels. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love. Thank you that laying there that day in that accident, blind, couldn't feel anything from my temple down, could hear, couldn't see. Lord, when I heard that forest ranger say, they said, shall we dispatch an ambulance? He said, can you hold on that? The woman and the eight children are fine, but we don't know about the man. I thought, that's got to be me. I had just begun breathing. He figured I would hemorrhage to death very quick anyhow. Don't hurry out here with the ambulance is what he was thinking. He told me later, because two days before he had come on the scene of a head-on collision, had called the ambulance out, and the ambulance was involved in a head-on collision on the pass. The ambulance driver and attendant were killed, and the, the pickup truck driver died at the scene. And he said, I didn't have the heart to call an ambulance out again for a dead man because I didn't think you'd last very long. But he didn't know my God. When I heard those words... That verse came alive in me. Now faith is. Now faith is. Present tense. Right now it is. And Lord, whatever's missing on me, you can put it back together. I'm not going to the hospital. I'm going to that number two daughter's wedding. I'm going to lead her. Walk with her down the aisle and lead her through those vows to that young man that I led to Jesus. I'm not going to the hospital. And Lord, you caused fire to hit me in each temple. And as it went down my body, I thought the van was on fire. I didn't know I was out of the 
out of the van on the ground. And I thought, oh Lord, they got to get me out of here. And I expected to hear them say, we got to get him out of there. The van's on fire. But all I could hear was breathing is normal. Pulse is normal. And then as that fire went down to my chin, my vision came in. And I saw the lady leaning over me and heard her saying, please don't move as she held on to both sides of my face. And the man was holding my chest and saying, don't move. Don't try to move. Your neck could be broken. You might die on us again. I said, I'm all right. I want to get up. And they pleaded with me, please, we're going to get an ambulance on the way. And the forest ranger ran back over, trying to get them. Emergency vehicle out there as he said he finally realized something here has happened it is a miracle the hemorrhaging stopped because I said Lord whatever is this blood's coming down into my throat because they plugged the hole and that forced the blood down my sinus into my throat and the Lord stopped the blood and I could talk And they said, just lay still. We're going to get help. And the forest ranger was back on the radio trying to get them back on. He had just said 10-4 and thrown the, put the microphone back in its place. That fire went all the way out my toes. I felt great. I felt wonderful. I was all right. I didn't want an ambulance. I didn't want to go to a hospital. My God had begun a work in me and he was going to finish it. My faith was fully operational. I'm going to that wedding. I go to the hospital and they won't let go of me. I kept saying, I'm all right. Please, I want to get up. Let go of me. Let go of my face. Mr. Please, don't push on me. I want to get up. All of a sudden, that dear lady let go of my face with her two hands, threw them up in the air, looked in the direction of that forest ranger who was trying to get them, had just begun to get them on the the two-way radio. And she hollered at him and said, What are we going to do? He says, He's all right. He wants to get up. I saw her looking over that way, and she had let go of my face. And I turned and looked at him, and I lifted my hand, and I pointed at him. And I said, Sir! I don't need an ambulance. Cancel on that. I will not go to the hospital. I'm all right. Tell them to let me up. I can still see that man looking at the microphone as over the radio it's saying, Go ahead. What is your location? We can't dispatch until you give us your location. And he's looking at me and he's looking over there at that microphone. And all of a sudden he says, Ah, cancel on that 10-4 out. And he throws the microphone in on the seat and he says, Let him up. I can believe anything at this point. Oh, people. God's Word says He created us for signs, wonders, and miracles. Let Him set the circumstances for the signs, wonders, and miracles. And then turn Him loose to come on the scene and see what He'll do. And you'll come out victorious. You'll come out triumphant. Now, if you haven't even found Jesus as your Savior yet, you're not even to first base in this.
I want to give you an opportunity. Please, please, I beg of you, don't leave here tonight without asking Jesus into your heart. I don't know how you could live one day without him in this wicked world. If you don't know Jesus, I want you to come down here. I want you to give your life over to him. I want you to give your heart to him. Turn it over to him. There's no need carrying the burden. There's no more being condemned. There's no more impossibilities to you because God is every possibility. He's every probability for you. He'll take care of it. You can cast all your cares on him. He'll catch them. He's an excellent catcher. You just cast them on him. You don't even have to walk up to him and hand it to him. Just cast your cares, he says on me, and I'll take them and you'll learn how much I care for you. I beg of you, if you don't know Jesus tonight, don't leave here without him. Is there any? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And am I to believe that you're all ready to meet Jesus? Hallelujah. Precious Father in heaven, I ask, Lord, that your anointing, your anointing will just rest over these on the instruments and those that are up here singing tonight. And the ministry, Lord, that you have brought forth here. Let your anointing rest upon this place and upon these people, Lord. Let your presence rest upon them, Lord. Use them for your glory. Let your anointing increase more and more. They're familiar with their anointing. They love your presence. They love your anointing. Just give them.